Well, today is St. Valentine's Day. I have to show off my new mask. This was uh, sitting by the coffee maker when I came down this morning, so I like to behave. I put it on like I was supposed to. It has kisses all over it. I'm hoping that that's a promise. <laughs> well, today's a day for the celebration of love. It's a very special holiday for the people at Hallmark. It won't surprise you to know that Jesus had a lot to say about love. Uh, we're on a journey. We've been calling Walking with Jesus. And instead of looking at a single incident in the life of Jesus this morning, we're going to be uh, looking at two of Jesus' most challenging teachings on love. And we're going to see if uh, we can't apply them to our lives. Would you pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, you are the God of love. Your word tells us God is love. And Lord, sometimes we get that upside down. And sometimes we end up worshiping love instead of worshiping you. Lord, please forgive us for our misconceptions and lead us into your word. We ask that you would reveal yourself to us and help us understand and embrace these two great and difficult teachings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I called this morning's message, All You Need Is Love, I had only just finished reading this book, The Last Days of John Lennon, and so it was the first thing that just kind of sprang to mind. Uh, my title was kind of natural. This is a, a fascinating read, but it's not a happy read. It's not a happy book. In spite of so many wonderful songs about love that Lennon either wrote or co-wrote, um, I think it was something that John Lennon wrestled most of his life with. Uh, the song, All You Need Is Love, is probably one of the most well-known Beatles songs. Uh, it was written by John Lennon. It was released in 1967. And uh, it was written specifically for a global television link. It was the very first one ever done. And so when they performed the song live on that show, it was seen by 400 million people in 25 countries. It made number one in the United States and in Canada and in England and in many, many other countries around the world. In spite of all his talk about love, I'm not sure that John Lennon ever really understood it. He certainly had a very intense desire for love, but I'm not sure he really got it. By 1967, things were changing in the world. You might remember 1967 is the year they called the Summer of Love. Uh, that was the year of the hippie movement and Haight-Ashbury and uh, free love movement, so-called free love movement. And a whole generation committed themselves to the idea of love. But most of them misunderstood what love really is. When the Bible talks about love, it's talking about something that includes feelings, but it's deeper than the feelings alone. And it has all kinds of layers to it. It has layers of self-giving and self-sacrifice and commitment. Bible love tends to be unconditional. When Jesus talks about love, he talks about something that applies to everybody, to everyone not just the people you feel good about. The call to love 
from Jesus is much harder than we might think, if we really think about it. Um, the call to love uh, is much harder than the hippie call to make love, not war, or the generic give peace a chance kind of love that was happening at that point. This kind of love is so important that Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by the love part, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus loves us. We are to love one another. And, and that love, if it's focused on God, will spill over and it will touch other people. So what does Jesus say about this kind of love, this heavier kind of love? Uh, you know, all love flows from God's love, right? So even the, when we have feelings love, of love, they originated with God in some way. Uh, they may not be focused on God. You know, and we can get into a sort of a secular kind of love. We can get into a love that's not really a love, it's more like a lust. But God's love is very deep and very committed and very unconditional. So the first place we want to take a look at this morning is Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 43, if you want to open your Bibles there. And if that sounds familiar to you in that section, that is because it is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And most of Jesus' most important teachings are all gathered in one spot, starting right there in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus had been out preaching and healing the sick and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and the news started to spread. You know, he was, he was very popular all of a sudden, as Kathy said this morning, and the news spread. It even spread into Syria, and it says that that people were bringing others in need of healing to Jesus. And we're told that crowds from Galilee and from the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from the region across the Jordan, they all began to follow him. And so a huge crowd began to form. And Jesus has this crowd in front of him. And so he, he went upon the side of the mountain so that he could speak to them and so that they could hear him. Twelve disciples were with him. But this sermon, this wasn't just for the 12. This sermon was for everybody. Everybody. Let's take a look at that. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus here is talking about a new way of love. He's talking about a love that's a counterculture kind of love. And actually, it's a very old love that's been forgotten or twisted. He says, you've heard it said. That's popular culture, right? You've heard it said. 
Well, we hear a lot of things. We read a lot of things on the internet. We, we hear a lot of things. You've heard it said. Something becomes very popular and it spreads. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You know, the love your neighbor part comes from Leviticus. It comes from Leviticus 19.18. But the second part, hate your enemy, that's not out of the Bible. That's not part of Scripture anywhere. But that's saying, <laughs> that saying was very, very popular in Jesus' day. In fact, it was so popular that historians and scholars, when they were digging at the, at the site of the Qumran, Qumran community, uh, where the Essenes lived, uh, they were the keepers of the Dead Sea Scrolls, you might remember. They kept themselves isolated, and they saw themselves as some kind of an Old Testament remnant and the keepers of the Word of God. So they stayed away from everybody, and they lived in caves. Well, this saying was so popular among the Jews that the hermits living in caves even wrote about it. In fact, we find it scattered in different places in rabbinical writing, too. This was a very, very popular saying, but it's not scripture. Think of the saying, God helps those who help themselves. You heard that before? Uh, George Barna, <clears throat> excuse me, did a, a survey back in 2017, and 52% of practicing Christians strongly agreed that the Bible taught that. 52%, but it's not in the Bible. That's not scripture at all. It might be Benjamin Franklin. Uh, or it may be uh, something a lot older than that. Its roots, we think, go all the way back to ancient Greece. It was popular. It was commonly known. Everybody knew it, right? Just because something is popular and everybody knows it doesn't make it right in God's eyes. And it, it doesn't always find itself to be compatible with God's teaching. So Jesus said, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Can you believe that? I mean, Jesus wants us to love our enemies. Can you believe that? He, even the people who are persecuting you. Of course, there are a lot of Christians today who have a kind of persecution complex. Uh, they think that anybody who disagrees with them is persecuting you. Persecution Jesus is talking about is a direct attack on you because of your faith, not your politics, your faith, in Jesus, your choice to serve God, that's where the conflict comes in. And if you're in that situation with somebody who has declared themselves to be your enemy or in a place where you are being persecuted, Jesus said, it is not enough to follow the prevailing opinion to hate your enemies. In fact, it's unacceptable. Jesus says, I tell you, you know, it says this, you've heard this, but I tell you, the Son of God tells you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Pray for them. Pray for the ones who persecute you. 
Well, those people sitting on the side of the hill, they knew what persecution was. They knew what hatred was. They knew what enemies were. They lived in an occupied country. It was occupied by the Romans. You know, one of the Romans could just grab them at any time they wanted and make them carry their gear for a mile. That's why Scripture encourages go the extra mile. Don't do it just because you're compelled. Do it because of the love of God. They had the Samaritans over there on that other mountain, and they were worshiping God in a way that they didn't approve of. And they considered them their enemies. And the pagans, right in Jerusalem and right outside of Jerusalem, performed blood baptisms, blood sacrifices, things so horrible you can hardly imagine it. You know, they had a big wooden platform and and they'd put somebody underneath it and they would slaughter the bull and the blood would run down through and, and baptize them, a blood baptism. And they were the enemies of God. And there were those not too far away, at Ephesus and Corinth and places like that, where there were sexual offerings to pagan gods. There were enemies, lots of enemies. And Jesus says, love them all. Love them all. What? What? Those horrible people? Love them all? How can I love them all? You know, when we use the word enemy, or we use the word hate, or hatred. We depersonalize people. But you know, love puts a face on people. Love lets us see people as individuals and gets a sense of who they are. Love, you know, there's a conditional part of love here. If you look at the last line, it's projected on the screen, I think. Yep. Uh, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. That's a conditional clause. (laughs) Do this, and then that. Do this, therefore, that. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. Love in this way reflects a love relationship with the Father and the Son. And without God's love being manifested in your life, you aren't being children of the Father, a child of the Father. I want to be a child of the Father. Do you want to be a child of the Father? Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not even the tax, even the, or not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even the pagans do that. Now, you just heard me talk about what pagans were in those days. <laughs> Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect in love, in this case. Our faith is centered in love. It has the God of love right in the middle of it. That's the same one who loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. That's where our love is based. We have to do better than just loving the people in our own tribe, the people who are nice to us. Even the pagans do that. The love of God goes beyond that. Love even extends to the unlovable. 
even the despised. I heard someone say in an interview yesterday, and, and I thought this was really significant. He said, me loving them through the power of the Holy Spirit may not get them to love me, but it will prevent me from hating them. I'm going to read that again because I think it is really important. Me loving them through the power of the Holy Spirit may not get them to love me, but it will prevent me from hating them. Hate is not an option for a Christian. You can hate sin. You can hate sin. That's acceptable. But hating others is not an option for a Christian. Love is the test of our faith. They will know us by our love. Our love for one another, for sure. But the real test, the place where we're stretched, the place that hurts, the part that's difficult to do, is our willingness to decide to love people that deep inside we really want to hate. You ever get so angry, you just... There's, there's this rage. This rage turns into hatred real easy. And you get to that point, and I've been at that point, where you're so angry, you just hate that person. And their teaching here, this teaching of Jesus, is that, is that the real test of my faith is that I can love that person that I really, really want to hate. We square on that? We're okay with that so far? You're breathing? Okay. Let's add another part to this and see if they don't fit together. We're going to jump a little bit later in time. This passage we've been looking at is from early in Jesus' ministry, shortly after his baptism. Now we're going to jump down to Matthew chapter 22, towards the end of his life, near the time in which he gives his sacrifice for us. Matthew 22. Jesus had been teaching, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were sitting in on his teaching. And all along, they were just looking for ways to trick him, ways to catch him up. And they tried two or three times during this conversation. They had questioned him about paying taxes. And they had tried a trick question about marriage and the resurrection. And, you know, Jesus was able to answer them easily because he's the Son of God. And so finally, in Matthew 22 and verse 34, the Pharisees and Sadducees, it says they conspired together. They put their heads together to see if together they could come up with something, you know, really bad to test them with, to come up with something really good. And it says one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Well, what are they really asking him? You know, they're asking him, Jesus... What's the most important thing we need to know about God? So we can just sort of focus on that and not really worry about the rest of it. If I get that one big thing right, then I don't have to worry about the rest of it. You know, there's that mentality that we have, right? If I go to church on Sunday, 
but I behave like a jerk all week, that doesn't count because I went to church on Sunday. If I go to confession and confess my sins, you know, then I can behave however I want. We have this mentality, this human mentality that, that wants to just find the magic key, the magic phrase, the magic words, the magic prayer to say. And then we can just kind of blow the rest off. And Jesus says, he takes it all and he summarizes it in a way they can't get around it. You know, he answers them. They're asking him a legal question, you know. What's the minimum of the law that I can get away with? They're asking him a legal question. And Jesus responds not with a legal answer, but with an answer about worship. An answer about what they need to be and do. He turns that around to something different. What's the most important thing? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. With everything you've got. With every bit of you. And there's that favorite word of mine, splankna. means guts. Love the Lord your God with all your guts. And when you do that, you're not just honoring God by worshiping in a, in a surface way up here somewhere. You're worshiping God in the deepest way possible. You're worshiping him in spirit and truth, which is what we say we want to do. But are we doing it? You're worshiping him in a deep, deep, deep way. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why did Jesus say that they'll know us by our love? Why did Jesus say love your enemies? Why did Jesus say pray for your persecutors? Well, it all comes down to this. A deep, intense love of God overflows into everything in your life. And I have found that it is impossible to pray for somebody and hate them at the same time. In fact, I find it's impossible to pray for someone for a long period of time and continue to dislike them. You know, I may get a little neutral on them. I may not ever end up feeling, you know, fantastic about them, but that's feelings. That's feelings. And we're talking about something more than feelings here today. You know, when you really love God when you have this intense love of God, it, it just leaks out. And all kinds of people are in the splash zone for that. You know, when you're loving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, you can't help but love your neighbors too, even some of the bad ones. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, this is the part where the smart Alex stands up and says, and who is my neighbor anyway? And that's when we get the story of the Good Samaritan, right? And in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus tells a story about their enemy loving better than they do. That's really got to get them upset. Anybody remember the comedian Gallagher? Do you remember him? At the end of his routine, he'd bring out a giant sledgehammer. He called that the sledge-o-matic. And 
he would take that hammer and he would smash it down on a watermelon. And anybody sitting in the front row would get sprayed with fruit all over the place. Uh, I once saw him arguing with a customs agent at Harrisburg Airport. He had that hammer in his hand and he had a big potato chip under the other one. And, and I think he was arguing that he should be able to carry them on as carry-on baggage or something. But he was really upset because they weren't letting him do whatever it was he wanted to do. But I, I always used to wait for the end of that part of Gallagher's act when he took that sledgehammer and he hit that watermelon and that fruit went spraying all over everybody. Let me ask you, what's the first fruit of the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5? What is it? Love. It's love, right? When we love the Lord God with our entire being, we are consumed by God. And the hammer comes down on our sin, and the fruit sprays everywhere. Gets all over people. Comes down to this. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, start kind of in the middle there with the part in the beginning of the second piece here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. If you start there, start there. The other stuff comes a whole lot easier. You can't start with the other stuff. You'll never get there. I tell you, I've tried. <laughs> you have to start in the middle. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Do you know, most hatred seems to come from fear. I've noticed that. And, and I know some of you are maybe, you know, still sitting there this morning as I, I've talked about these scriptures. I know that's what God says. But I'm still not convinced. <laughs> I don't think people can do that. I think that that's impossible for us to do. But I want to tell you something you need to remember. Love is a decision. That's why Gary Smalley wrote that book. <laughs> love is a decision. We think love is all about feeling. But at some point, consciously or unconsciously, we decide to love that person. And most of our hatred or our declaration of people as enemies is based on fear. But what are we afraid of? People who are different than us? People who think differently than us? People who hold different values than us? People who have different politics than us? What are we afraid of? I think we're afraid if we let people in, we're going to lose something. I think we have a great fear of losing something, maybe losing a part of ourselves, losing a part of our identity, or maybe a physical thing that they might, if I let them into my home, they might take something from me. There's these weird fears that we have, especially this fear that something will happen if we start caring about people outside of our own tribe. But we can only gain we can only make gains for God if we love God in this way. 
Scripture says there is no fear, not in love. It says perfect love drives out fear. And isn't it a whole lot easier to live without all that fear, with all that burden that we carry because we're afraid of so many things? This has been a year of fear. We need to put it down. We need to let it go. We need to leave it behind. There are some things that it's healthy to fear. You know, you need to fear putting your hand on that lit burner on the stove. You know, that's, that's the healthy fear that keeps you from doing something really stupid that'll harm you. But the rest of it, we need to put it down. And we need to love like Jesus. To love like Jesus. So the question for you today, the challenge is, what are you going to decide to do? What are you going to Because you're deciding, right? It's a decision to love someone. What are you going to decide to do? Are you going to walk with Jesus? Are you going to love like Jesus or not? You decide. That's your job this week. You decide. Father God, thank you for the gift of your son. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of your cross, the place where all our sin and death itself has been crucified. Lord, crucify my heart and create in me a heart of flesh, a heart ruled by, by your Holy Spirit, a heart that loves you completely and loves others as you love us. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.